0: Anyway, uh, since it's been a while since I've been here, I got a little bit of energy that I need to burn up. <laughs> and uh, my wife warned me on the way here, she told me a story and she kind of like in her own little way kind of said, you know, let's not get over, you know, let's not overdo, it, let's not get carried away. So she told me a story about this new preacher that went into this prairie town and uh, went to show up to preach his first message and only one person showed up. And so he was standing in the front and he was about to deliver his message but he wasn't real sure whether he should still do it or not with only one person showing up and he was kind of wondering out loud and the man who was sitting in the front row said, well preacher, I, I don't know much about sermons and I don't know much about preaching, I'm just a cow hand but I know if just one of my cows showed up, you know, to be fed, I'd go ahead and feed her. The preacher said, okay, Thanks. So he started out in this 40-minute sermon that he had prepared, and he went on for 40 minutes, and it turned into 50 minutes, it turned into 60 minutes, and turned into a little over an hour, and sure enough, he's pounding the pulpit, he's pointing his finger at this guy, he's just, just you know, who else are you going to point at? And he was pointing his finger, and he was pounding the pulpit, and he was raising his voice, and he was yelling, he was screaming. This 40-minute sermon turned into an hour and a half, and this guy had worked up a sweat, and man, he was exhausted. And at the end, this guy was sitting there, and he was the only person to greet, so he just went down and shook his hand and introduced himself and said, well, how'd you like the service? And the guy said, well, preacher, I'm, you know, not a preacher, and I don't know much about sermons, but I know that, you know what, if only one of my cows showed up to be fed, I wouldn't feed her the whole load. So there's a message in there somewhere for me, and I'm not sure what it is, but I'll try to keep it in mind, but I'm not making any promises at all. (laughs) I know a couple who fight like cats and dogs, who fight continually, but they are wildly in love with each other, and they have a great marriage. Now, some of you are going to be shocked to believe that or to hear that, and I'm going to give you maybe even a a harder-to-believe fact, and that is this. The amount of conflict in a marriage only determines the speed at which a marriage is moving toward greatness or towards destruction. The amount of conflict in a marriage, think about this, only determines the speed at which a marriage is moving towards greatness or towards destruction. If you want to sit still in your marriage, then avoid all conflict. Eliminate all conflict from your relationship. Avoid it at all costs. Now, if you want your marriage to crash and burn, then let your conflict rage but refuse to learn the skills that are necessary for managing it. Well-managed conflict. Well-managed conflict is like a stairway that can lead your marriage to higher and higher levels of marital greatness. Now, what's interesting is the key for me is learning how to manage conflict successfully. If you remember what's... I don't even know why I throw that out, but the the first time that we got together in this series, we talked about uh, some reasons of marital failures or reasons that marriages fail, and one of those reasons is unresolved conflict, that we haven't learned the necessary skills to resolve our conflicts with one another, and so the key, whether it's in your marriage or in any other relationship that you have, the key to a successful relationship is learning how to manage conflict successfully, and yeah, and I'm learning to do it with you, <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, we're just, it's just it's this thing, it's really great, it's nice to have this, you know, this example live before us, in front of us, you know, it's like uh, show and tell, you know, remember when you were a kid and you had to bring something to school with you, well, we got one that comes every week, <laughs> but <laughs> he comes on his own, <laughs> at least just show and tell you how to bring it, you know, um, But anyway, that's what we're going to focus on the next few weeks, and that is how to resolve conflict. And and, and really, if you think about it, as wonderful as the month of December is, with all the festivities and all the activities and Christmas and giving and families and get-togethers and all those wonderful things, it can be a pretty stressful month as well. And there's a whole bunch of conflict that goes on during this particular period of time but conflict it goes on all year round so let me ask you a little personal question and you've already spoken so you can't speak again for like twenty seven more minutes what do you argue about at your house what do you argue about at your house now it's funny some of you are looking at each other like you know what did you tell him about our ride here this morning like what do you argue about at your house you know now some of you say Oh, we don't argue. Okay. Then you call it something else. We quibble. We quarrel. We discuss. We fight. Thank you. We um we we disagree. We um, what? Quarrel, squibble, squabble, fight, disagree, argue. Whatever, but you do one of those, right? So, you know, stop and think about it. Now, let me rephrase that question. What do you quibble, squirrel, argue, squabble, disagree, or scrabble over at your house? Let me take you off the hook. And I'll confess to you what goes on in our house. We have reduced our quarreling, squibbling, squabbling, disagreeing, discussing, we've we've got it down to just about everything (laughs) we've we've narrowed it down to just about everything you know i hope you feel better but seriously in the twenty four years that my wife and i've known each other twenty one almost twenty one we've been married three we dated before that or knew each other in twenty four years we have argued squabbled quarreled discussed disagreed everything we really have And I love her to death, and I think we've got a great relationship. But we disagree on a whole bunch of stuff. And that was even before we mixed in our three kids. <laughs> and then our in-laws, and then some outlaws, and then friends. And, you know, when I was coaching our players and their parents, and uh, a business partner and his family, and an employer and a coworker, and employees and neighbors and customers and church relationships. That was before we mixed all those things in. We just about discussed everything. So let me give you a little short list of things that other people have quarreled over in their relationship. Now, if this resembles anyone, uh, you know, like that little disclaimer they always put on there, you know, like on, uh, what was that, dragnet, you know, if this resembles anybody, it's because it does. (laughs) But here's some things that, you know, I just kind of jotted down, you know, they may apply to you, they may not apply to you they look very familiar to everything that I can think of that we've gone through. But sleeping in the dark or with a nightlight on, we've gone through that at our house. How many blankets should be on a bed? Whether we should leave the windows open or closed. Where to keep the temperature, at 43 degrees or 96 degrees? I've heard people debate on how you should blow your nose discuss how the proper way is to chew gum, how to eat food, your mouth open or with it closed. And I always thought you you need a little bit of both. You're not going to get very far, right? What kind of music to play? How loud the music should be played? Where your clothes should be thrown? One of my all-time favorites, and I saw this I saw this once and it was hilarious, but you've you got to picture this for a minute. I'll try to do the best I can to recreate the scene. But there was a husband who was sitting in the family room and he was watching TV. And his wife came, obviously, as it turns out, out of the bathroom area, and she still wasn't quite all the way buckled up. And she was kind of walking out like this, and she walks over to him, and she has in her hand the toilet paper holder. All right? All right? And, 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 and now all that's on this toilet paper holder is cardboard. She so goes over to him in front of his face. She so goes like this, pulls off the cardboard, throws it over her shoulder, reaches in, grabs a roll of toilet paper, sticks it on, just looks at him and goes, throws her hands up, and then walks back toward the bathroom. So, you know,
1: I, I,
0: you may have, you know, that you may be able to relate to that, you know. And not only that, but some of you have taken it one step further, and that is, does the paper go over the top or under the bottom? Over the top. How many overtoppers do we have here? Hey, there you go. Oh, the majority. Well, there's no question. God has spoken. um, The toilet paper now goes over the top. There you go. But some of you are going, no, it doesn't have to go that way. Um, What time to go to bed? What time to get up? whether you should bite your fingernails or not, and if you bite them, where you should spit what you get out of them. You know what I mean? One of those kind of deals. Um, Some of us may have gone through this. You're not wearing that to church, are you? No, I just had an extra hour to kill while I waited for you to get ready, so I thought I'd try on everything in my closet before we leave. uh, where to eat? Oh, you got Christmas coming up. Where are you going to eat dinner? Where did you eat at Thanksgiving? Where should you have eaten at Thanksgiving? Who's going to take out the trash? The oh, this, this is kind of an interesting one that we go through. The order of the pillows, the order that the pillows are to go on our bed. Who was that? Somebody actually applauded that. There is a there is a there is a you know a specific order the pillows are to go on a bed. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, I guess it's a universal principle that I continue to violate. And and, um, and after a while, sometimes you just kind of do it just to do it. You know what I mean? But there's an order that they should go on. You know, how, how the vacuum should be rugged. I mean, the vacuum should be rugged. How the, vac- how the rug should be vacuumed or vice versa. Whether the line should go this way or this way. Um, where a Christmas tree should be put in a room. What the focal point is of the room. Uh, smoking, drinking, eating, excessive eating, decorating, room additions, remodeling, um, the, the two top ones of every every survey that's taken on marital conflict is problem with finances, spending habits, and sexual infrequency or frequency. So we're going to talk about finances in December since it's appropriate with Christmas coming up and we'll, we'll talk about sex in January so now you have a reason to live. So anyway, <laughs> Oh and and I, and I got and I have to mention this one again because this is one that this is that card I mentioned I think several, a month or so ago that my wife left for me when she went out on time. She likes to leave me little you know cards under the pillow and little places you know little little neat little things that we do and uh, and, and it 's a really cute little bear on the front It says something about you just makes my little heart skip a beat can 't wait to open it it says you 're driving so You maybe it able to relate to that. We went to San Francisco last weekend, you know, I did chapel for the Rams, went up there for the weekend. We had a great time, but we had to drive to get there, and so we had to spend um, a few hours in the car together. So we, we have, you know, this is something that you probably don't do, but we continually discuss, discuss, which lane is the appropriate lane to drive in. <laughs> you know, should you stay in that left lane? where no one can pass you unless they go on the center divider or should you move over and let people pass you or should you wait in, until they start flashing their high beams at you um, in the middle of the daytime uh, you know should you ride in the left lane or should you ride in the right lane um, when you should stop to eat, when you should stop to go to the bathroom, when you should stop for gas and then on the you know, the, the, the infamous conversation that always takes place on long driving trips and that is who is passing the gas? Um, so. <laughs> Those are the kind of things that, um, that, well, you know, that other people have a problem with that, you know, we have, we don't. But you, you probably got some of your own that you'd like to share with me sometime when the person who's sitting with you is not present. So, you know, I'll take little suggestions, jot them down on a piece of paper, and just leave them at the back table with my wife. And, and the reason that I mention these things that I have heard other people deal with and struggle with, is because I want you to understand that it appears to me, now I don't know, but it appears to me, the longer that I live, the more I realize that conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. There's no way you can get around it. All couples have their conflicts. Now they can call them whatever they want to call them, but the reality of it is, is all couples have their conflict, and let me just ease your burden. One of the things that's just amazing to me, is how many Christians that I know who would try to lead you to believe that they don't have a problem in their life. They put the show on for you for whatever reason, and frankly, it was one of the greatest hindrances to me ever to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ because some of the Christian people that I met were so phony, so hypocritical, were so full of it, that I couldn't believe for a moment that anything that they had to say was true. So let me just take that burden right off you right now and let you, you know, be freed up to understand that all of us experience conflict in life. The difference is, the difference should be, as Christians, we've got a place to turn to learn how to deal with it in an effective and a successful manner. That's the key. We all go through conflict. I like the story that I read not too long ago, thought it was kind of interesting. Here was a man who wrote a letter to Ann Landers, and he undoubtedly had no idea of the conflicts that were in store for him when he first got married over 30 years ago. This is the conflict that they're struggling with. He writes, Dear Anne, right hand to God, this is no joke. I am both mystified and burned up. Please give me your opinions. I can't go to anyone else. I'm 58 years old. I'm married to a good woman for 34 years. Our marriage is no better or worse than most others. She's not perfect, but then neither am I. The problem, I'm a heavy sleeper and I snore. My wife says my snoring has gotten gotten really bad this past year and it interferes with her rest. So last night she gave me a headband with a bicycle horn attached to it. The horn is in the back. When the snorer turns to sleep on his back the horn blows and wakes him up. I tried the blasted thing on and it was very uncomfortable. Also the horn is loud and it scares me out of my wits when it blows during the night. So I refuse to wear it. Do you feel that I'm justified? Now here's a classic response. He, he, he signed it, embattled in Elmhurst. She writes, Dear M, you're darn tootin'. I like that. Anyway, you know what, I, What's interesting is the vast majority of conflicts, you know, is simply a result of differences. You know, if you stop and think about it, everything that we've seen throughout this series on marriage is that men and women are different. And God made us that way. He made us male, he made us female, he made us different. We're different physically, emotionally, mentally, we're just different in a lot of ways. And that has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority, it just is a plain, simple, truthful fact that men are different than women. God made us that way. Now you say, well, why in the world did he do that? Well, I'll tell you why I think that he did It's because opposites attract. The game plan was to make men one way and women another way so that we would be attracted to each other. Because if you remember his command was, when you got married, then be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people who would grow up eventually and and have an opportunity to put their faith and trust in God's plan and to love him with all of their heart. The plan was, let's make a man and a woman who are so different that they attract one another. And the game plan seems to be working. And what's interesting is, when we first got married, the reason I married my wife is because she's so much different than me. And what I saw in her life, I was attracted by it. And she added variety, she added spice, she added some excitement, she added some things that, I, frankly, was missing in my life. And those attractions were a wonderful thing. And the same is true, I'm sure, of you. Now, the problem is, as we've been married for a while, and sometimes it doesn't even take very long, but these attractions, and some people I know on their honeymoon, they go, whoa, the attractions turn into repellents. What attracts us to one another at first ends up being the things that repel us from each other. And we need to recognize that, you know, typically, here's a typical pairing. See if this isn't true in your relationship, right? Here's the typical couple. You got the peacemaker and you got the prize fighter. The typical marriage has a peacemaker and a prize fighter. Isn't that true? What's a peacemaker do? Anytime conflict comes up, oh, 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 no, it's not that big deal. Oh, no, 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 it's okay. Oh, no, no, here, where's the rug? Where's the rug? Lift that sucker up. Meanwhile, that rug's going like this now, but you're going, lift it up, and let's just go ahead and sweep it right under there. Got oh, it's not a problem. Well, that's not worth it. Not worth getting into it. Not worth it. let oh, that, what, what, what? Meanwhile, the prizefighter's saying, he lives for Friday night fights. The prize fighter, I mean, it's like, oh, man, this is great. Ding ding ding! Put on the gloves. I'm ready to go. There's a difference here. We're disagreeing. This is great. Let's just talk it out and let's work it out. And isn't this great? We're disagreeing. Peacemaker. Oh, we're not disagreeing. Everything's fine. Sweeping around. But the prize fighter wants to just fight. I heard of a couple that. This is true. I know of couples who the prize fighter comes from a long history. Of of family relationships that enjoy rolling up their sleeves, getting into a heated debate, heated conversation, getting into issues, digging into things, things that you're not supposed to talk about, you know, and, and get into it, man, they roll up their sleeves, and they go after each other, man, they even call each other names, and they yell, and they scream, and they do all these things, and then at the end of all of it, they have dessert, they hug, kiss goodbye, and say, can't wait to see you next week. There are people that are like that. And then there's the peacemaker that never came from that kind of background. And and when dad rolled up his sleeves to start to have a disagreement with mom, you know, know, it's like, oh, no, no, no. And, And what usually happens is there's someone that gets caught in the middle. And in most situations, it's a child. You got one who's a prize fighter and you got one who's a peacemaker and then all of a sudden you got children that, that, you know, try to help each other see each other's points of view and, you know, you got dad who wants to roll up his sleeves and go at it and have a heated debate and discussion and you got mom who wants to sweep everything under the rug so, you know, the daughter goes to dad and says, oh, dad, don't you understand? Mom doesn't like to do that. Oh, yeah, but oh, it's good. It's good to do that. Oh, no, and then she goes, mom, mom don't you understand? It? You really make dad mad when you don't want to discuss things and talk things and you just walk away in silence and, and you know, and, and you give him that silent treatment and don't you see what kind of problem there is? Oh, 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 oh. One guy said that a gal like that came to him for counseling. She was in her 30s. She had gotten so discouraged and depressed as to the relationship that her mother and father had that she thought about killing herself on a regular basis. And the reason is a very simple one. Let me tell you something. There's a lot at stake in the way that you and your mate handle your conflicts, the way you and your mate handle your differences. There's a lot at stake because you may have a son or a daughter or both that are watching how you resolve conflict and that's what they're learning and that's what they'll carry into their relationship in the future and what's fascinating to me is there's an old African proverb that's a chilling one that goes like this when the elephants fight it's the grass that always suffers when the elephants fight it's the grass that suffers So. Conflict is inevitable and it becomes imperative that we learn how to manage it constructively. And so I just want to give you some simple pointers that I believe could change the way that you deal with your conflicts and the way that you deal with your relationships, not just with your spouse, but maybe your children and your co-workers and people that you know and friends, family, whatever. But there are very, there's a constructive way to deal with conflict and it's very simple and it's profound. And since you didn't pay anything to get in, it's free. And here's the way it works. You want to deal with conflict in a constructive way? Learn to listen. Learn to listen. It doesn't get any better than that. St. Francis of Assisi, who was never married, still offers some counsel that I think is wonderful for marriages. And he says this. He prayed, Lord, may I seek to understand more than to be understood. I May mean, I seek to understand more than to be understood? Most conflict in marriages arises arises because one or both partners refuse to hear the other, or they don't take time to listen. There was an ad in the newspaper not too long ago that I cut out that I thought was unbelievable, and I don't even remember where I saw it. But somebody had ran an ad in the newspaper, and this is what it said. I will listen to you talk without comment for 30 minutes for $5. And then put in the phone number. I will listen to you without saying a word for 30 minutes and I'll only charge you five bucks. It was a hugely successful ad because people are starving for an opportunity to be heard without being interrupted. What's interesting is, you know what? That's a counsel that we get from God. In James 1.19, God makes it very clear where he says this. My dear brothers, take note of this. I like that. You know, jot this down in case you can't remember it, but I'll, I'll guarantee you by the end of the time we have together, I, I hope you don't forget it. But take note of it just in case. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone should be quick to listen. Isn't it ironic, isn't it? Because most of us are quick to speak, slow to listen, and become angry very easily. So I think God knows us pretty well, and he tells us exactly the way it should be. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Think about the conflicts that you have with other people. And how many of them have escalated or have come to the point where they're not, they're, they're, they're unresolvable in your mind because you have been too quick to speak and too slow to listen. And you've become angry and you've created even a greater chasm that needs to be bridged somehow or another. Learn to listen. Now, what's, now I don't know about you, but you know I, I remember having speech classes in college, hated them. Um, and even in high school, the speech classes and doing oral presentations, and never did enjoy them, and still, not as strange as may sound, not really crazy about them, even to today. But I don't remember ever taking a class that taught me how to listen. I don't. I don't remember in elementary school. I don't remember in high school. I don't remember in college, and I, I never saw any postgraduate degree courses that talked about how to listen so we're going to have what may be for all of us a lesson on how to listen and in doing so it'll help us learn how to resolve conflict so let me go over a couple of things with you and uh, see if you can relate to them as we go through it but there are as we'll see five different types of listeners the first four will most of us will fall into that category and, and hopefully uh... will learn to resolve these things but The first four categories of listening are this, what's called pseudo-listening. Now, pseudo-listening is a type of listening that most men are guilty of. And they go something like this. You come home from work, and you go and you sit down in your chair, and you pick up a newspaper. And someone in the house wants to talk to you. Could be your wife, could be your children, could be somebody else, and they want to speak to you you're sitting in the chair and you're looking at the newspaper and you hear your son say, hey dad, Jimmy and I are going to sleep out overnight and we're going to sleep down by the railroad tracks. Is that okay? And you go like this, "Uh, yeah, that's fine, ahead. And you turn a page and then all of a sudden he walks out of the room and you turn a page and you go, hey, ho, 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 ho! railroad tracks, ho, wait a minute, whoa, come back in here a second. Oh, that's kind of like not really listening until it finally sinks in what was said. But you've already answered the question, you've already said what you're going to say, and it just finally sinks in and dawns on you what just happened. Most men are guilty of that. The second is selective listening. Now, selective listening is, you know, you listen, the problem is that we can listen five times faster than we can speak. So this is another guy problem, really, when you think about it for the most part, I mean, isn't it, I mean, stop and think about it, isn't it true? Uh, guys, your wife's talking to you, and she's telling you a story. You, you listen five times faster than she can talk, or well, maybe some of you only two times faster than she can talk, <laughs> but there's a ratio there, and so she's talking, and you're already trying to figure out where this is all going, you know, and she's building the case, and you just want to know, what did it cost me? Yeah, or what's the point? Where are we heading with all of this? That's kind of like selective listening. You know, you're picking out what you want to do, and you know, then you start kind of drifting off when you figure out that you know what this is going to take a little bit longer, and you start thinking about things you got to do tomorrow. And see, some of you're doing that right now. I mean, it's it's selective listening. You, 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 anything good said, I'll, I'll come back. But in the meantime, I got some things I need to do Monday and Tuesday and uh, Wednesday, and you're jotting other things down, and so you're kind of in and out. And I, and I, and I know how that works because I can see it on your face. And then I can see those of you who are just out. <laughs> so, but that's kind of the way that it is, you know. And and not only selective listening, do you kind of go in and out, but you start to listen for things that'll help you when you're ready to speak. You know what I mean? It's kind of like going, "Oh, now that was weak right there. That was really weak. I'll just log that one in." And you're just looking. But you ain't listening because you're thinking about what you're about ready to say. You ever see somebody that's doing that to you? You can always tell because they're not looking at you. They're not there anymore. And you just know that it doesn't matter what you say because you just said something. And they just kind of went, uh-huh. It's, it's going to come back to you. Now, protective listening is where you protect yourself from hearing things you don't really want to hear. I don't want to hear this. The peacemaker doesn't want to hear anything because they want to hear anything that has to do with conflict, doesn't want to hear anything that has to do with problems or has to be resolved. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't want to hear anything that's threatening. Um, you, you, if you've got a, a, a mate, if your spouse, you're having a problem in your marriage, um, he or she may be the kind of person that you're like this. I've been trying to tell him, and I hear this all the time when people come to me when they've got problems. I've been trying to tell him for years, and he just won't listen. I've been trying to tell her for years. This isn't a new problem. I've been talking about it for years. And she just won't listen. I've been trying to tell him for years. Was that 27 minutes already? Man, this is going faster than I thought. Okay. And he just won't listen. Surface listening. Surface listening, okay, it's kind of selective listening, you just hear some things and it's all shallow and you're not really getting into anything. Now, those are all types of listening that we need to get rid of to stop practicing and develop a new habit of active listening. Active listening, where you are listening to the person for the purpose of hearing what he or she has to say. And let me tell you something, you know where it's got to start? It starts with looking at them. This isn't hard, but you know what, it's profound and it's true. Think about it, if you've got children, how many times have you told your kids when you're trying to tell them something, look at me when I'm talking to you. Would you look at me when I'm talking to you? Please look at me when I'm talking to you. Why do you say that? Because you know, if they're not even looking at you, you don't have any chance of them hearing anything that you're saying. And I don't know how many times that we have to do this, but we do this with our kids it's over and over all of their lives. We've got to do the same thing. Okay, would you go out to the garage and when you get this, 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 this and then? The one, I will even tell you which one it is. First, can you do, would you do, already starts to walk. The garage here's it, oh, this is the garage area, over here, okay, goes walking out, goes out of the garage, you're still talking, he's out in the garage, then he goes, what did you want, (laughs) what, you want a what, so we get to the point where it's like, (coughs) would you please look at me when I'm talking to you, active listening. Army? Oh yeah, I can believe it in your case, everybody. (laughs) It's not just the kids. kids. Now, Well, speaking from a woman, who knows? How many years have you been married to him? For those of you who are listening on tape, we're talking about the outburster right now. How many years? 30-some years? 50-some years. There is, there is such a huge crown in heaven for you. <coughs> Seriously. You're going to have to get some of your friends to wear part of it with you. You know what I mean? But It's like, would you just look at the person? Just look at the person. You know, see, I, I try to make eye contact with you because you feel a little more embarrassed about looking around the room. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it now. If I just walk down, and do How's it going? Great. Good. You know what? When I'm talking to you, would you look at me, please? <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> it has some impact. It has an effect. See, so, it, now, when you're talking to your spouse or you're talking to your children or you're talking to somebody at work or you're talking to a customer or whatever, I mean, did you ever have a person who's trying to talk to you and they're looking all over the room?
1: They
0: make you nervous, number one. And number two, you, you want to know what they're up to. And you're looking behind you and are waiting for somebody to come in with a gun or something. It's kind of like, aren't they here yet? When are they going to be here? They're supposed to be here. Getaway car supposed to be out of front in a couple minutes. Where are they? It's like, man, would you just look at each other. Okay? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, and look at the person you're talking to. That isn't that hard. But for some of us, it's a major hurdle in our relationships that we need to overcome. There is nothing that is more rude than to talk to a person who will not look at you when you're speaking. Now, there may be a time that's better than others to speak to one another. When I walk in at the end of a day, and I've had to talk to people all day long, and all that you get in the construction business you don't get very many people who call you and just say just want to call you to tell you you're a heck of a guy you got a great company you and your partner do a great job we really love working with you now they do that on occasions but that's not the case why because they expect that that's what we're supposed to do but when they got a million problems and everything else is going on whether it even has anything to do with us or not hey take care of this would you take care of this now i don't know about you but That's the last thing I want to hear when I first come in to my haven of rest. When I first come in to that that castle of mine, when I cross the moat and I enter into the front door, what I want to hear is, hiya, babe, how was your day? i want that i want that entrance that i got friday night with the 2001 space odyssey playing in the background hello family how are you today so nice to see you great good to see you again it's wonderful having a good day Greg. glad to hear it i don't want to hear and i don't want to smell tension when i drive in my driveway you can smell it and you can see it because usually have my son's up in his room and his window going And when they were or they were always there, you know, it's like as they get bigger, it's not quite as bad, but man, when they're little, they're just upstairs looking out of the room
1: going,
0: oh, I don't want to see him ever come home. <laughs> nah, you know, it doesn't do much for me, you know. I don't know about you, and the same thing, I mean, the same thing with guys, you know, when, they're, when you as women come home or whatever, I mean, that's the last thing you want to do is get beat up about all things you need to do and take care of. There's stuff that needs to be taken care of, stuff that needs to be handled, stuff that needs to be dealt with that needs to take place but maybe not the first minute you walk in at the end of a day. And let me just give you some tips. For all of you who are very selective listeners, when I say something, you jot little notes down, and you know, you can't wait to talk to me about what I should have said, what I would have done, whatever, what you would have done if you would have done it. I know, the, you know, the orchestra, the band the other night. I mean, people were, you know, people were stupid. And, and basically what they do is, you know, and, and you did a, I got a guy come up to me right at the end of the concert the other night. He says, oh man, you missed a perfect opportunity for a great one-liner. And I'm like, I only missed one? That's amazing. Now I'm feeling a lot better about myself. I only missed one opportunity. And then he told me the dumbest line I ever heard in my life that I'm so glad I never thought of to be able to say because my wife cringes and she prays to God every time I'm speaking in public that I don't say something really stupid. And it's like, you know, and, and, and it's not the time. That's just not a good time. So now, look at the person that you're going to talk to. The second thing is, listen to what they're saying. Not just to hear the words that are spoken, but to try to sense the feeling and the emotions that are involved. Now, most of us men don't like to hear the emotional part of it. And when our kids were little, I'd come home and Linda be pulling out her hair and I'd walk in the door and she says something like, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to ground her forever. For the rest of her life. She's going to be like 48 years old. She's going to be in that room. She's going to be grounded forever. Now, you know, does she really mean that? Well, we want them to believe that she does, part of the strategy, but she doesn't really mean that. See, she's home all day playing romper room, you know, and she's chasing kids around when they're little, and she's trying to get them to stop writing on the wall and doing all kind of stuff. And, you know, she doesn't really want to kill them, and she doesn't really want to ground them forever, but what she wants me to hear is that she didn't have the greatest of days. Now, I remember in air trying to fix the problem. Where is she? Where and then I started to figure out why they're hiding in their room, looking at the little mini blinds. i afraid enough. Where is she? I'll get her. She's littler than me. I can take her.
1: You know? Where is she at? And then I went to the room with. Oh! Ah!
0: All right. But what Linda wanted to just hear was. So we had a kind of a rough day. And I kind of put my arm around her. Not to say something like. I don't smell any dinner cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, ah. You know, because I think I said that once, and she said, it may be you. (laughs) But, you know, so that's not what you want to do, and that's not what you want to say. You want to listen, and you want to hear what's being said, and you want to feel the emotions, and you want to be able to somehow or another Just let that person know, you know what, I care. See, when I come home and I have a bad day, I don't expect my wife to resolve our business problems. She doesn't have a clue sometimes even what they are or what's going on or what the details are. But she wants to hear about it just so that she can get an opportunity for me to talk to her and to share with her and to let her know what's going on. And that's part of developing a relationship. To look at a person and to listen to what they have to say. You know, and and I think that all of us, if, if we care then you know what we'll also do? Look at, them, look at them, listen to them, and then you know what? Ask appropriate questions. Hey, babe, you had a rough day. Um, how about, would you like to go out to dinner? Can, we, can I help you? Is there something I can do? Um, you want me to talk to her now, or you want to wait for a little while? I mean, what, what can I do to help you out? That's all. It is so simple. But it's amazing how far off we are in our relationships with one another and learning how to resolve conflict so let me kind of conclude everything that we've done so far with just giving you three tips that if you apply them i really do believe that they're going to change your relationship with one another the first one we've already talked about and that is this resolving conflict begins with a commitment to listen and to understand to listen and to understand Not to listen selectively and try to figure out the flaws in the argument, but to listen and understand his or her point of view, their reference point, where they're coming from. Because remember, going into it, you know what? If you're a man, you think one way. If you're a woman, you think another way. You're different. And in a lot of ways, we speak two different languages. And what we need to do is take the time to listen intently to understand the differences in how we communicate with each other so that we can understand and be committed to it. Commit to listen and understand. The second one is a very simple one, but if you want to learn to resolve conflict, it also begins with a commitment to stop conflicts before they start. To stop them before they start. You know what's fascinating to me is I have learned in our relationship and our family that a lot of... Our conflicts can be resolved before they even start. Let me give you an example. In Proverbs 17, 14, we read this. It says, The beginning of strife, or the beginning of conflict, is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Resolve it before. See, I would hope that as we're growing in our relationship with one another, we begin to learn, you know what, I know what button to push on my wife to get her going. I know her sensitive areas. I know the the areas that if I said a certain thing or would do a certain thing, it would just get her going. I know if I don't learn to put the pillows on the bed in the proper order, we will be dealing with this for the rest of our lives here on earth together. I am trying my best. So finally, I finally admitted to her, and I didn't want I, you know, it was like it was the hardest thing for me to do, but one day I had to admit, how do you know which ones go where? And she looked at me like, oh, you mean you haven't been doing this just to get on my nerves? No, I'm doing it because I'm really stupid. (laughs) Then she felt sorry for me. (laughs) She did. And so she rolled back the pillowcase cover, and she showed me, some identifiable marks on her pillow. Now I know. Now she knows when I don't put them there. I just don't care. (laughs) So I got a problem now. I got to put the pillows. Now I know I have no excuse. I'm without excuse before God and before man to put the pillows in the proper order on the bed, the way they're supposed to go. I know that. I know now how she likes the carpet rugs to go. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a combination of Fenway Park in, 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 the, in Boston and Comiskey Park in Chicago. She likes a kind of a combination weave look to it. <laughs> so I know that. And, and so I know. And I know that if the toilet paper is almost gone, when I leave the room, that I should at least replace it with a new roll. I've just learned these things. I'm not, I'm not as, as dumb as I look. I've picked up on some stuff throughout our relationship that has really changed our lives. 23 years, yeah, I mean, you start to pick up on some things. But stop, I mean, you know what? I I don't mean to be redundant about some stuff, but you know what? Most of the conflict that you have in your relationship with other people is really simple to resolve. If you just take the time to listen and to understand what they're saying, and then you care enough to stop it before it starts. When I told Linda the first time, I didn't smell dinner cooking. I picked up real quick that that wasn't the right line at that particular time. And I don't think I ever repeated it after that. And I don't think she's ever had a cook in the house again ever since then either. (laughs) We've been eating out for 18 years straight. (laughs) But it's like, you know, that's just the way that it is. So, I mean, if you want to work it out. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but there's a principle involved here. What is that? I got to change her. She likes the pillows that way. That's a problem. It's got to be stopped. Some of you think like that. I know that. You think, well, I'm going to lose my identity. Some of us guys think, well, if we start to help make the bed and put the pillows the way they like and, and, and take the trash out without a mask and stuff, that somehow they've won and we've lost. That's how we think, isn't it, guys? We're whipped. No, you're not. You're going you're gonna to go much further in your relationship, and you're going to have greater victories in your relationship and your marriage with, with your wife when you learn that, you know what, you're not really whipped when you give up that which isn't important, to get that which is so important that you don't want to lose it. You're not whipped at all. And it's always young guys that have the biggest problem with it. Because old guys, you see them, I mean, oh man. they're the, You know, we're all like that. We're the guys, that you sit in, we sit in the middle of the mall and just kind of go like this. Yeah, and the guy sits next to you, yeah, how long you been married? Yeah. Me too. Oh, yeah, man, but I'm happy. Oh, yeah, me too. Right. Yes, dear, I got to (laughs) go. That's the way it is. (coughs) That's just the way it is. And that brings me to the last one. And the last point is this. Resolving conflict begins with a commitment to listen and understand, commitment to stop the quarrels before they start, and a commitment to remember what's really important. To remember what's really important, Proverbs 18, listen to this. The lot puts an end to contention or conflict and decides between the mighty. Because a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions or conflicts are like the bars of a castle. You know what God says? The lot puts an end to conflict. You know what he's talking about? In those days, they would just pull out straws. It would be like pulling straws. Um, or, or casting dice, uh, w- w- what, I would, what I would call it is take a coin out and flip a coin. All right? You know, I don't know what it is. Whose turn is it to take out the trash? Uh, I did it last time. Oh, no, I did it last time. Oh, no, I didn't. time. Th- okay, heads you do it, tails you do it. And you flip a coin. Now, some of us would be like, heads. Oh, no. Best of three. Come on now, best of three. Let's go. <laughs> but you see what God's trying to get across to us folks listen to me if you want to enjoy a healthy long term relationship with a spouse or your children or people around you would you just please for a moment keep in sight the big picture and forget about all the little stuff that you can disagree over who cares how you squeeze the toothpaste if it's a problem flip a coin if you haven't resolved it yet flip a coin heads you squeeze it from the bottom tails you squeeze it any way you want and if you can't resolve that, then, you know, like Lynn and I, we just decided we're just never going to brush our teeth again. You know? Hey, whatever works for you. I mean, just simple stuff. That, that's, that's, just don't lose sight of the big picture. Let me close on this, and let me get serious for a second. Because years ago, I found some profound observations about listening, and there are comments made by a woman who admits that she was a mistress. Her name was Melissa Sands, and she founded what was called Mistresses Anonymous. Listen to what she writes. She said, ask any mistress. Her man doesn't do anything but talk endlessly. Mistresses are experts in the art of listening. People think a mistress has a sexual manual that keeps men bewitched, but actually what she really has is the capacity to listen. Men have mistresses because they have needs that, are, that they are unable to fulfill in their other lives. By needs, I mean the needs to communicate sexually, verbally, tactically. They don't get these needs filled at home because they see their wives when they are tired or worried about money Or early in the morning when both of them are at their worst And they see each other at all the wrong times, frankly But a mistress, however, sees their men Mistresses, however, see their men when they're at the peak of their day in energy and motivation A married woman makes time for her job and her kids, the PTA, even her mother-in-law But she does not make a special time for her husband The mistress does Hmm From the mouth of a mistress comes a bit of real wisdom on how to make your marriage a fair proof and also gives us some insight as to how to resolve conflict in our relationships. I say that we need to gain all the skills that we can in the art of listening to one another at home, at work, in our communities, and at church. We need to be committed to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we're well on our way to resolving conflicts in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and we're just thankful for the opportunity to listen to your words, to hear what you have to say. You tell us to be quiet, to cease striving, to slow down and to listen to you. God, we need that. We need that in our lives every day. Father, I just pray for all of us that we would become better listeners, that we listen so that we would understand and hear what's being said, that we'd make a commitment to focus our attention upon the person speaking, to look at them eye to eye, to ask the questions that are relevant and necessary for a deep conversation, to take action steps that need to be taken when, when corrective measures need to take place. God, help us to become people who are quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And we'll just give you all the credit and all the glory for changing our lives because we've applied the simple truth in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, uh, next week. We're...